most effective crusader for our rights, our safety, our sanity. And you're listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, also 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next, Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school, get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up in darkness from the ones who walk in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadow This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, July the 8th, 2014. And this is my half hour, my weekly radio rant. Ah, radio, how else can we hear ourselves think? I used to bill myself as the Delphic Oracle. Ah, Delphic Oriole's name was Pythia. Great name, Pythia. She was um, a voice. She came out of some stones, uh, some kind of a cave in ancient Greece. Uh, They said there were some kind of fumes coming up, uh, something maybe uh, the effect was like that of a psychedelic drug. Anyway, the idea was to breathe this stuff and to listen for portents, for prophecies. Uh, I think it was a chance, you know, to um, hear yourself think, to to talk to yourself, basically. I think that's what people do when they talk to the gods. Anyway, long ago, I used to consult the I Ching in the morning every day. I just wanted to avoid my horoscope. I'm Sagittarius, and those messages are always completely off base. The I Ching uh, is an improvement over horoscopes. Mostly, I just got messages about how a small basket of grapes, provisions, something leftovers would be passed to me through a hole. In the rock. Perfect. That's just perfect for me. Anyway, today, today, I thought I would try to talk about age and angst. I got a note from a listener uh, quite a while back, and she told me that I should be talking about age because I'm 80. I should be talking about getting older. Uh, Indeed. (laughs) Oh, to be 60 again. Now, I read that 80 
is the new 60. So, uh, I went and dug in my files. I went back uh, 20 years. And I found an article I published in a woman's anthology long ago, back in the day. It's a collection journal, women's stuff, you know. The title is The Time of Our Lives. Women write on sex after 40. Oh, dear. <laughs> now, that's really going back too far, of course, that 60, I must have been over 40. Anyway, that way, uh, that's only half as old as I am now. Ah, sex after 40, I don't think I want to be 40 again. No, 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 no. Anyway, my essay or contribution to this journal, The Time of Our Lives, um, hmm, I called it angst. Angst for the memory. There we go. Uh, let's see. I'm running out of men who knew me when. You know, when I was thin, desirable, and presentable, and worth the effort. You remember Henry Miller's line. An old... <laughs> Euphemism is a dead loss. No, dear, says the man seated across from me. An old euphemism is a dead loss. Ah, he was smiling like the satyr he'd like to be. Oh, that, as if that were all. It's not about that all the time, I tell him. Are men as obsessed with getting it up as they seem to be? Is that really their measure of manhood? For me, it's the lonely thing. It's thinking that I am the only one who will never leave me. Come to think of it, that's a great thought. I thought that if I got married, I would never be lonely. And married was the loneliest I got. Being without the one you're with. Sometimes, sex is as close as men get. Oh, all this closeness, intimacy. Sometimes, it's all so tiring when I was young. I, I had to take sex in place of affection lots of times. But when that happened, my feelings were hurt. And when my emotions were blunted, well, you know, uh, things didn't quite uh, come off. Masochism? Maybe. A psychological pout? I always tried to keep things simple. Ah, I told myself, an orgasm a day keeps the psychiatrist at bay. Oh, hell, orgasms are a dime a dozen now. All that really keeps me alive is knowing someone 
cares whether I live or die. I want to believe that men and women grow more alike as they age. He doesn't always give me what I want. Who could? Well, uh, I could, but that's another story. With him, it's knowing he knew me when we were tear-gassed together. We are pieces of the same history, fragments of an age. When I'm feeling frail, he gives me confidence. He reflects my existential aura, helps me do battle with my dragon. Aha, my fear of being all I am. He celebrates my accomplishments, my hero's journey, my grandiose schemes. I need him to take away my doubt, come to the party with me. In the early days, he even read my reviews to his friends. His favorite quote was, She's so down to earth. You have to take your shoes off to read her, unquote. Ah, he's as good as it gets. He's not like the male chauvinist prig before him. The one, the one, uh, who I thought was changing. Uh, I can't help but regret the shipwreck of that one, that affair, uh, That was one that promised peace. It rekindled, you know, a kinder, gentler intimacy because we'd hurt each other in the past. Uh, I guess this time around, we'll we'll be tolerant and humorous, uh, as Jane Austen says. Uh, He has not yet learned to be made fun of. And I thought, well, maybe he's learned. Uh, Maybe he can take it. Surely the time has come for forgiveness. Both of us know that the gentleman with the scythe is sitting at the breakfast table with us, sharing our prunes. This time around, we will be refined affectionate. We will protect each other's solitude, maintain a mutual front before the onslaught from without. Ah, yes, what is that we used to call that Dover Beach blues? Let us be true to one another, because the world is gone to hell in a handbasket. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, I think Rapport is what is needed. Rapport can replace romance and our world-weary warmth, you know, uh, helps us hold hands by the hearth. Uh, all that stuff belongs on Hallmark cards. <laughs> it's, it's some kind of movie myth. The myth that age softens ripens, mellows. 
in George Bernard Shaw's play, Heartbreak House, there's an old guy, a captain shot over. He calls it the sweetness of the fruit that's going rotten. <laughs> yes, Captain Shotover. His solution is a lot of rum anyway. I suppose some folks soften and some, some of us turn to stone. Well, I asked myself, why he, that that one that I thought was changing, why should he be the one to surface after all these years? I asked myself, why? Ah, we had, well, even back then, you know, we didn't have much in common, except we were so much alike. Looking back at all those alcoholic spasms we call love affairs, back in the days of the flowers and the funk. <laughs> On a clear day, you can see San Pablo. I think we came together because we were, in some way, closet Victorians trying to come out. One time he upstaged me beyond my wildest dreams. He became more myself than I am. But life came along and pickled him. I tried to love a pickle, and he wouldn't let me. He just sat and glared. Who is it that said, Men don't have to leave, they've already left. Desperate for some guidance, I went to a feminist seminar. It was cheerfully titled a seminar. The question posed was, Is sexual intimacy possible without a dominance-submission paradigm? Well, not at my house that week. Over coffee, I tried to practice intimacy in the New Age way. Uh, one New World Order deserves another, but I wish to goddess they'd find a new postmodern phrase for this phase of fascist fragmentation. Uh, <laughs> I remember... Once I got into a terrible, uh, terrible lot of trouble, uh, I uh, said on the air, I propose of the men's movement. Uh, what was that, the 80s? Yes, the men's movement. I said that the new male order was the old male order in drag. Uh, some people were not pleased. I began, anyway. I began my uh, my new shtick, my new intimacy. Uh, I began by telling this man that I love to distraction, that it is the patriarchy which separates us. The patriarchy forbids sharing. It forbids closeness. Real men don't give themselves away. <laughs> he yells. 
Intimacy? Intimacy is everywhere, and much of it is violent and abusive. Uh, I dug out Susan Howe's little book, My Emily Dickinson. Susan Howe writes that the sad riddle of the world is that sadism is what breaks down barriers between isolated souls. Hmm. Is that what it takes? Yes. Kiss them or slap them, right. I ask him if that is why he's yelling at me, because violence is what forces reaction. So he tells me I need taking down a peg or two. He says I am overconfident, even overbearing. He insists I don't listen. <laughs> He's right about that. <laughs> the Irish never listen. Oh, we hear everything, but we wouldn't be caught dead listening. <laughs> He's right about that listening business. If I listen, then I would feel betrayed. I think that bad faith may be the lot of lovers, that is, when they cease to love. Now, this guy was phallocentric to a fault. Suddenly, very, uh, a word I cannot use, suddenly very uh, irritated, I'll say. He tells me I don't even understand my own sexual response tells me clitoral stimulation is an infantile form of sexual response or sexual activity. The only mature female response is the one that can be had in depth. Stunned. I decide not to tell him how many years it took me to learn how to adjust my own sexual practices my own sexual needs to his and to other males who think they know what they're doing. You know how that is uh, with some guys. Uh, Harriet liked it this way, that kind of thing. You know, even today, many women struggle to get their sexual needs met simply because so many men still seem to believe that sex is an athletic affair, you know? Uh, they worried about their hearts giving out. Uh, I think of it as a comfort zone. Anyway, I looked at that jockocrat and uh, uh, I told him simply that the clitoris is analogous to the penis. No go. He puts his trust in the main thrust and so forth. We get into a fight, bickering over the issue of female genital mutilation. Uh, it's an issue that I had been writing about in the papers back in the day. Still try to do, uh, do my duty where that horror is happening, that torture. Anyway... FGM, or genital mutilation, is the excision 
of the clitoris, uh, some or all of it. Uh, also, other genital tissue is removed. And a pharaonic uh, excision. Very complicated stuff. I, I won't go into it here. But it goes on in 40 African and Arab countries. Apparently 40 million women have undergone this procedure. Uh, I begin to yell and say that he can't get it up without an argument and he dismisses my reference books. I'm throwing them at him at this point. I threw uh, the height report. <laughs> right. Uh, Phyllis Chesler's About Men. Nawal El Sadawe's so important book, The Hidden Face of Eve. Uh, she was the Egyptian Marxist who was thrown in jail for, <laughs> for um, it was Egyptian Law Number 96 for the Protection of Values from Shame. <laughs> oh, anyway, I've got a shelf of these books, and he tells me my sources are tainted. That is, uh, second-rate, not top scientists, you know. He will not, he will not take knowledge from me, not at my hands. He will not learn of me. That would be against his religion. He is orthodox. His power comes from withholding, and he will stick to his guns. Whatever I say, he has read his Nietzsche. I have a footnote on Nietzsche here. After all these years, I, I need to remind myself that, that Nietzsche was much misunderstood. Nietzsche uh, suffered from a broken heart and went mad. The story is that uh, the beginning of his descent into insanity uh, was the moment when he embraced a horse in the street. The horse was being tormented, tortured. You know what they do to horses, especially back then. Uh, uh, he saw this suffering, and he fell to pieces, as so many of us do. Anyway, I tell myself, well, one curmudgeon deserves another. I tell him that we don't need to win anymore. It's Beside the point, we are old and wise. <laughs> he shrugs this off. My existential angst threatens his nihilistic nausea. I insist there's space for both. You know, both and duality is destiny. Why, I ask him, why can't you make the yes and adjustment instead of always saying no but... When you say no to my reality, is it because it threatens your own? I need you to care, or my courage fails. I put my hands on his shoulders, and I ask him what he thinks the world would be like if men believed in women. Well, at this point, he is not user-friendly. The fascist fun has just begun. I must go along with his mythos. 
or you will not sleep with me. I used to believe in the truth until I found out what it was. If I throw stones at his glass ass, I will lose him. Well, flustered by lust and hope, I do what I did in the beginning. Back when I learned to love, male arousal was sacrosanct. I had read my D.H. Lawrence. I did as I was told. I worshipped in his temple because I thought that would lead him to mine. I believed the erotic was romantic. Uh, sexual liberation would open the door to the rose garden. <laughs> Finally, as I grew older, I learned to love myself. The door to the rose garden became red when I found the rose of Gertrude Stein. She wrote, Civilization begins with a rose. Gertrude's rose is a clitoris. The rosebud, the heart of the matter, it is the metaphor for her art. Woman's sexuality is biological fact. It is part of primal elder religious faith. And it is the curse of patriarchy. Ah, the fear of female sexuality. It's so deep, uh, Jermaine Greer used to ask, with really, really more sadness than anger, why? Why do they hate us so? I turn to the man of the moment, the one that's uh, still at the breakfast table, the cheerful one, uh, <laughs> the what latter-day guy. I ask him, what would happen on this earth if men and women revered a female principle in fact and fiction? What if we worshipped not only the phallic pillar, the tree of life, but the... He puts away his dishes, as he says. I know what's going to happen to me if I don't get out of your revolving door. I'm not going to get any work done today. <laughs> That's the end of the piece in the anthology. I remember uh, at the time uh, trying to explain to him the difference between chimpanzees and bonobos or bonobos. I don't know how you pronounce it, the uh, hippie or feminist apes, the ones that live uh, south of the great Congo River. Apparently when the uh, river split the continent in two, the big gorillas were left up in the north with the chimpanzees, so there was a lot of violence going on, and the chimpanzees had to learn to be as mean as the gorillas. Huh? Whereas these bonobos were left to be happy and uh, also, they lived in a place where they had a tremendous amount of food. They didn't have to fight for the resources, and they had a whole bunch of female leaders, I guess we say, uh, the sisters, mothers, and uh, instead of fighting with their fists, 
fighting violently. They use sex and sexual stimulation to groom each other, help each other, feel good, you know. <laughs> anyway, this has been Jennifer Stone, and I will be back again next Tuesday at this same time. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Are the so divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. Bravo for Women in the Arts and Black Artists Contemporary Cultural Experience present the Bay Area premiere of Zakia Alexander's Sweet Ballady, running June 17th through August 3rd in a benefit for the Bravo Theater Center. Set during Reconstruction, Sweet Maladies follows the story of three recently emancipated sisters and their former mistress as they contemplate a future in a post-slavery America. Based on Jean Genet's The Maids, Sweet Maladies features the work of critically acclaimed actors Britt Frazier, Kayende Coyejo, Stephanie Martin, and Lisa Ann Porter. Sweet Maladies runs June 17th through August 3rd at Bravo Theater Center, 24th in York, in San Francisco, and it is wheelchair accessible. Visit www.brava.org for tickets and information. That's the Bay Area premiere of Sweet Maladies, June 17th through August 3rd at Bravo Theater Center in San Francisco. And you're listening to KPFA, KPFB, 